hey, welcome and um, good morning. My name's Mark, for those of you who don't know me. Greg, Mike, and Simon. Simon has laryngitis today. Um, so Simon, if you want to answer any questions, you can maybe play the piano or <laughs> you can mime or just sit there and smile. That would be quite nice. <laughs> yeah, you do. Hey, you know, I just want to say thank you to start with to um, Simon and Greg, but also everyone from Northern Hills and from The Rock who have had a part to play in making today happen, because it's, it's a fantastic morning, isn't it? Let's give them everyone a round of applause for that. <laughs> you know, as we were taking communion, I was remembering back, um, I used to travel quite a lot for work overseas, and I remember I was in Dallas once, and it was a bit lonely. I was with some work colleagues who, um, you know, didn't know the Lord. And, and I, one Sunday, I just went into a church and they had communion. And man, I just felt like I was at home. I really did. And so just doing that this morning reminded me of, of the oneness around the table. It's fantastic, isn't it? So, you know, this morning, as Greg was saying, there's a few things that, um, that we've just been batting around and thinking about that we'd love just to, to get some thoughts about. And they do relate to uh, oneness in Christ and unity and truth and love, and some, some other great things. So, Mike, I might actually start with you on this one, just to put you on the spot. <laughs> How important is it, do you think, that the church demonstrates unity right across the body of Christ? Um, I remember um, uh, a joke that um, I once found when I Googled I was looking for something humorous to say in a, in a message one time and found the story. It was about two two guys that meet in an airport and, and you know, they, they discover that actually they're both believers and they start a conversation that says, oh, well, you know, believer, believer, yeah, Southern Baptist, Southern Baptist. Oh, well, that's great, you know. Um, you know, uh, 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 do you believe in the rapture? Rap- yeah, we both believe in the rapture. You know, um, you know, they go on. You know, they 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 having this wonderful conversation, getting really deep and really building a lot of rapport with each other. And and then you know, pre-trib, no, not pre-trib, post-trib. So you know, sud- suddenly they find a point of division. And um, and what a shame we would have been such great friends. You know, it's <laughs> like <laughs> I I kind of think we we're sometimes like that. Um, as Christians, yeah, rather than actually, I mean, it's a joke, but there's a real truth in it. I think actually, you know, kind of someone said it this morning, it's like, let's focus on kind of what we agree on. You know, there's a there's a range of things that if, if Simon and I get to chat or, you know, Greg and I can talk about that actually we'll find differences and we can let those differences actually divide us. Um, we can let those differences actually mean that we'll walk together, but we're not going to walk together closely. Or actually, we can we can actually allow the differences to to kind of draw us together and actually agree about that we're going to going to walk as one. We're going to walk in unity because you see, I don't think that oneness, I don't think that unity is something that kind of you catch like that. I. I think it's an act of your will. I think I decide to walk with Mark. I, I don't, you know, work out where we all agree and on the things that we agree, I'm going to walk with them. But on the things that we don't agree, well, I've got, these, I've got this other great relationship over here that I'm going to go and hang out over here and do this stuff. So I, I actually think that it's, it starts with an act of your will. I'm going to be united. I'm going to be one. And then actually when the differences come up, and they will, they serve to actually reinforce why the Lord's placed us together. Because, you know, if we're just this random bunch of atoms and random bunch of relationships, then it doesn't matter that, you know, we don't need to be together. But, you know, if Christ is orchestrating my life, if he's calling me to be more like him, then actually he's going to use the people in my life to actually shape and outwork himself in me. So I have to be really open to that and not just go, well, it's a shame, Mark. You know, 
we could have we could have gone on if only we agreed on this one point. We're actually saying, I'm going to walk with you, and I'm, I'm going to allow that either that point of difference or that to 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 grow something in me, to grow something in you, to to draw us together, um, and demonstrate something to the world. Because I think when you turn it around, it's great. It's about us. But then the other side of the coin is it's about what does the world see? And that joke, kind of to close off my introduction and move into the three points of my message, <laughs> is, 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 is really a truth. The world sees 40,000 denominations, doesn't it? The world doesn't see one. Thanks, Mike. Simon, the other day you, you shared something with me, and I could try and share it, but you'd tell me I probably got it wrong. Um, you, you said something that, that someone told you, and that is in the essentials, unity. You want to finish that, that statement? Do you remember what it was? Yeah, um, it was um, a good friend of mine called Jim Chu that some of you guys might know. He was saying in the essentials, we've got to have, um, you know, we've got to have absolute agreement. And in the in, in essentials, we've got to have unity. And the non-essentials, we've got to have liberty. And I think it's so important, you know, that just to come back to what was just said. So often we, we focus on the little things, don't we? And we turn them into massive issues. Every denomination that started, and there's now hundreds of them all around the world, started because there was a division, often over process, funny enough, sometimes also over theology. But, you know, we have in common the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that he came to earth, he died, he rose again, he gave his life for us. Why aren't we united around that? You know, <clears throat> I think it's Psalm 133 that says, how pleasant, how good it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. For there God commands the blessing. And I believe, you know, as a church, Jesus said the world will know when you have love one for another. And I believe behind that statement was something very powerful. What Jesus was saying is when you have unity, my Holy Spirit will be poured out on the people of God and you will see the demonstration of my Spirit. You go back to the first century church, the unity that they had was absolutely extraordinary. It said that they gathered together in people's homes every week. They broke bread and they shared together. And if anyone had a need, they gave all they had. Isn't that awesome? They had everything in common. Imagine if we got back to that. How would the world be impacted? You see, God's economy is totally different from ours. And I think one of the saddest things is that we've grown up in the West. And in the West, we're told that you've got to be out there for yourself. Capitalism is the spirit of the age. It's not the spirit of God. And I think if we can come back to finding what Jesus was on about, of laying down our lives for one another, no greater love is anyone than this, than he lays down his life for his brother or sister. You know, Greg, just picking up on, on those comments, Jesus said that by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. What does that look like in a church life? Because let's be honest, we're all busy people. We have a lot on in our lives. But how do we demonstrate that love in practical terms in body life? Pass. <laughs> um, ultimately, it starts at knowing him first. And I don't mean knowing about him, but truly knowing him. Um, he is love. And so if we're going to demonstrate him, you need to know the one of love. Um, and so that's a journey on itself to actually discover him for who he actually is and not who we just think he is or who you've been taught he even is. Um, we've sort of talked quite a bit on this, but you know when um, Jesus asked Peter how he knew who he was, uh, he said, you know, flesh and blood didn't give you this revelation, but my Father in heaven poured it into you. And so we all need a revelation and ongoing revelations of him in us if we are truly going to be able to demonstrate uh, this love to one another. And and so what does it look like? I think it looks like 
Uh, one example would be maintaining uh, unity. Uh, and sometimes to maintain unity, like we've been talking about, you need to have discussions that have the possibility to blow unity up. And, and so going to one another and, um, and loving uh, in the, the disagreement or loving in the, the areas where it's hard to land the plane and, um, you know, demonstrating that by, by having those conversations that maybe no one else wants to have, having the tough conversations. Ultimately, Jesus demonstrated this love by coming into a world, into a religious system, and speaking a truth that the religious system didn't really want to hear. And that eventually had him put on a cross. And so I think that's one way at times, if love is truly in you, and we are moving more and more into that, then speaking the truth in love, no matter how hard that is. Um, and it's conversations that Simon and I have had over even as being communicators of the truth and not um, living in the fear of man. living Not living in the fear of, but if I speak this reality, will anyone turn up this Sunday? Um, if I speak that reality, will it half the congregation? Because what I'm communicating has power behind it and it, it creates a sense of feeling unease. Um, so that's one demonstration of, um, of it. I want to come back to that soon about truth because that's a biggie. And, and so we're gonna, I'm going to drill you guys. I'm not going to get off on that one. <laughs> you know, um, we talked a little while ago. I shared about the priesthood. And, and um, you know, the function of a priest is two things. The first is a priest serves God. Secondly, a priest serves one another. And a church... A church will function best when everyone is serving God and serving one another to the best of their ability. And a few of us were sharing yesterday, it really hit me in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, I think it's around verse 12 or so. Paul talks about the fact that he was pleased he only baptized a few people. And, you know, it really hit me because there's a command in the book of Matthew. It says, go into all the world, make disciples, and baptize them. So is Paul being disobedient? No. What he was saying was this. He said that command is for the body of Christ to do that. But within the body, we all have a function. And Paul immediately goes on and says, I was not called to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And man, imagine if he had spent his whole time baptizing people. <laughs> we wouldn't have half of, half of the New Testament. But here's the point, guys. I think what we're guilty of, and I see it, I see it in many churches, is we have too many people who come and say, those guys can do it. Uh, I'm too broken. Um, I've been too hurt. I've got other priorities. Uh, my my ministry's at work. That's where I serve. Well, I hope you do, but the ministry's also in the church. And we all have been given spiritual gifts to serve. And so when, when we talk about loving one another, man, that, that hits me hard to say, what am I doing? How am I serving the body of Christ to demonstrate my love for one another? So... Yeah, be encouraged on that. But, Mike. Can I just make one? Um, so I, I, thought I was really encouraged by the, the, your sharing about, about the priestly, about, about, you know, that we're priests. And I was reading in John 17 um, when Jesus is sending out the apostles. And first of all, he, he has this farewell prayer. And, and then he has the priestly prayer, what's called the priestly prayer. And in, in chapter 17 and verse 21, he, he says um, that they may all be one, even thou, Father, oh, sorry, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that, that they may also be in us, and that the world, this is why, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. So, you know, this whole, this whole sense of, of oneness that, yep, it's great, it's great that we can work, walk together, but actually... Um, and and there's a depth in here about because Jesus is saying he wants he wants the people to have the same relationship that he and the Father have. You know, you think about that. Yeah, that's 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 an awesome awesome thing. But 
how many of, how many of us would put our hands up and say, you know, well, our relationship, you know, Greg and I have got a really good friendship, but man, it's like the father and the son. Mm. Who's the father? <laughs> well, I'm older, so I'll... I'll <laughs> but you know, it's like, really? Um, why? Actually, when and if that can be fulfilled, then actually it, the world would know, the world would know um, that God sent Jesus. So... Can I, um, I, I think we, I love, I love that. I, I think we confuse his unity with conformity and we confuse his unity with what we think unity is. And so um, obviously his unity is of a spiritual kind and we tend to think like this, that, that um, you know, me and Mike can get to know one another in the physical but actually not have a true bond of unity in the spirit, and yet I could meet someone from another another country who I don't know and I've never met, and have a greater spiritual intimacy with that person because of the intimacy that that person has with the Father that I have. And I think this is the challenge for us because when He's praying this prayer, if you think about that, I pray that they would be one like we are one. And then you see Paul make statements like. Uh, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Well, that's an ultimate challenge right there. That's one of the four things he's about to mention. And so this is this dimension of how, as the people of God, it's a spiritual oneness that is what creates this life that, that, that the Holy Spirit you know, pours into. It's a spiritual dimension, hence on the revelation of Christ the church is built. And um, and I think that's what we have to con- contend for as well. You know, it's like because um, just because we even come to services doesn't mean there's unity. And there's a great and it's a good start and it's an excellent start. And and but we're going towards this this spiritual dimension. You know, and to me it's like this. It's sort of. Um, I find it fascinating, and I've shared this example, but between a husband and a wife, where um, a wife or a husband might say something, and the other people in the room go, oh, she just said that, and the husband or the wife, which you wait around, goes, no, no, she said this. And they all look at you and go, no, no, I heard specifically she used these words. And you go, I know she used or he used those words, but she didn't say that, she said this. No, 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 no. Look, I even recorded it on my phone, what he or she said. And you go, I know what the words were spoken, but what she actually said, if you've got ears to hear, is she or he said this. And what's the difference is the intimacy I have with Danielle that no one else has. So I'm actually able to hear what she's truly saying. And that's a a human example of a spiritual dimension when Jesus said, if you have ears to hear, hear. It's an ability to hear, which just comes from a spiritual oneness, um, the, the pursuit that we are on as people. Hey, I want to pick up, guys, a bit on this theme of uh, love and truth. And can I just share a couple of verses to start with? Is that all right? Just to introduce this. If you, if you want to turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. In verse 1, it says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, in the Old Testament, they used to have these offerings called fragrant offerings, and there was a beautiful aroma that would come up from this offering. And what it was saying here is that Jesus, his whole life was like that. He, he was a constant aroma a beautiful aroma to God. And he never compromised, though. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He never compromised. He was the perfect aroma. And then if we have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Second Corinthians 2, verse 14, it talks about us. Verse 14, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession 
in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of who? Not of ourselves. The aroma of Christ. Among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Now listen, this is the point. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? You know, the thing that hit me, guys, is this, that this generation that we're now living in is a real difficult one. I, I really feel for you guys who are at school and at university and are at that age group because I see the challenges that you have standing up for truth were things that we never had to encounter when we were younger. But the thing is that if we are standing up as an aroma of Christ, if we are holding up truth, we will be a stench to many people. There's no doubt about it. Unless you're compromising in your beliefs, you will be a stench to people. And so my question for you guys here today on the panel is how do we, let me back up for a moment. When you think about what goes on in the world, there's this, there's this whole thing that love prevails. Love, what's that book called? Love Wins? Yeah, right. Ask God that. Love and justice win, but only through Christ on the cross, right? But there is this belief that, well, whatever your sexuality, whatever this, whatever that, you know, let's just love one another. Let's, can't we just all live together and be a happy family? And being a Christian is not so popular anymore. So my question, have I given you enough time to really think through this because it's a tough one, is how do you balance in your life out there, not necessarily in here but out there, how do you balance love with truth? Mike? I'm glad, I'm glad we reunited our friendship, Mark. You can throw them all, throw them all to me first. Um, okay, well, I'll, I'll give you my version and then, you know, Simon and... Greek can correct anything that <clears throat> I guess the the um, in one sense you know um, Ingrid and I were talking about this in the car on the way in and um, in one sense it's kind of like um, they can truth and love can be different or or actually they can be the same because you know what is um, uh, uh, what is what is truth yeah, it's a, yeah. It actually says it says um, the word is truth. Word of God's truth, you know. So word of God is truth. Who who who's the word of God? You know, Christ. So you know, got, um, and Jesus says that He's love. So in one sense, you can kind of see them as different, where you can actually just say, actually, you know, truth, truth and love to us as believers really are just the same. It's just Christ. So. So to me, you know, this this thought about the importance of having having truth and love, for me, it just as comes down to the importance of knowing Him. The importance of knowing Him. If if I if I know Him, you know, I, I think at times, and Clay used an example uh, in a message here a, a couple of months ago, and I mean, lots of things that Clay says, you know, stick in in my head, um, but this one uh, really stuck with me, and it's kind of like. That we often kind of think God is on has to, has to balance this continuum, you know. On this hand, justice, and on this hand, you know, truth. On this side, you know, truth. On this side, love. And God's going, oh, am I going to be truthful? Am I going to be loving? You know, am I going to, oh, am I going to, oh, oh. and you know. But actually, that's not how God, you know, kind of does it. I don't, I don't think. God, I mean, God's perfectly able to hold what we might see as things that are in tension together as though they were one. Now, for me, though, I may not necessarily be able to do that quite so well. In fact, I can't. And so my immediate reaction at times is not is to react out of truth. Right, I'm going to tell this person the truth. And boy, you know, they better stand back. Um, I remember doing that to a young guy um, who I worked with and after on the trip back from Waipakarau to Napier where I used to work and when we got back to the office and the door fell, he just fell out. He just kind of, I just let him have the truth the whole way back. <laughs> yeah, it was a real example for me about how not to be loving, but man, he got the truth um, and for 35 minutes. And I, so I, for me, I think like truth, if it's, not, if it's not anchored in love, 
really is religion. It's, it's austerity, it leads to austerity, and it leads to entrenchment. On the other hand, you know, love, without truth, as you were saying, is kind of just this permissive, wishy-washy, anything-goes type of thing. So for me, I have to have, I have, to have this r- close relationship with God where I can ask him, ask him to reveal to me what I'm to do in a situation, what his, what, what his view on this is, because otherwise for me, I'm probably going to react in one of those things because I can't quite hold them all in tension. Does that work? Okay, cool. Thanks. Sure. Thanks, Simon. That's really good. You know, there's an interesting juxtaposition in the New Testament between one group of people and Jesus. And this juxtaposition, this drama, is played out continuously throughout the four Gospels. On the one hand, you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious people. And they had all the truth. That's what they did. That was their bag. That was their game. Every day they got up, they went to the temple, and they taught truth. And then you had Jesus. He was the truth. They delivered the truth, but he was the truth. He was also the way and the life. And you know, Jesus came and he delivered the truth through everything, everything he did, everything he said. And the reason he did give us the truth in that way was because he knew that the wages of sin is death. See, what, what I think is happening is that we're entering into a world situation today where, it, where we want to be politically correct. We don't want to offend anybody. And we shouldn't be offensive as people. But we must understand, as the Apostle Paul said, the gospel itself is an offense. But it's an offense for, very, very, for a very good reason. And it says that some people found Jesus' teachings too hard and they said they couldn't handle it and they walked away. But because Jesus loved them, he didn't hold back the truth from them. Now somehow in the church, and I have a, a deep... Um, I guess, concern about some aspects of the emergent church and things that are going on within the church today in order to be relevant, I think we're losing the message. And so what are we doing? We're actually sending people to hell. See, Jesus was absolutely the truth. He never compromised on anything. And yet he could go to a party, a non-Christian party, if you want to put it in those terms, and people loved him being there. Amen? And I reckon we've got to become those kind of people that have that love and that truth together. And when we go, we go to tell people about God's truth in a way which shows that we really care, that we really do love people. And I think there's a huge difference between being religious people. You know, so much of the church emulate, emulates just exactly what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were. We wanted be judgmental, we want to just give people the law and tell them they can't do this and homosexuality is wrong and, and, and I'm not disagreeing with those principles, what I'm saying is that the spirit behind it is often so anti-Jesus so I think we've got to come back and you know it's very interesting, we started this whole discussion today about love if we have love, one for another that love spills out and we've seen it um, I, I see a lot of our young people who go into their school and they just love on people. But they have an integrity in their, in their personality, in their character, that people know they're different. And we've seen a lot of young people come to Christ because that's attractive and that's real. Um, yeah, I, I guess ultimately, and like what, um, has been mentioned, it, it truly does start with knowing him um, and then being able to demonstrate him or have him demonstrate himself through you because of your knowledge. And If we are those people, then um, it's interesting who gets upset. Um, because, you know, we are all offended by truth to a measure. Um, that's that's the pattern as you read scripture. So we actually can't 
think it's about others only. Um, it's about all of us. Um, but I always will find it fascinating. You know, it says that Jesus came full of grace and truth, full of the Spirit and truth. And um, my experience is done well, the world receive. Done poorly, get a punch in the nose. Um, but if we, I think, if we are able to enter into the relationship to the fullest that he has with us, we will really think about how we communicate the truth. Because we know how potent it is, how powerful it is. But if we're not prepared to demonstrate it, then we really shouldn't speak at all. Um, because a lost world can see hypocrisy. They can see empty words. They don't like it. They smell it. But what they were looking and waiting for is a people who truly are demonstrating the reality themselves. And then from that, those words have life and power and meaning. And they may not understand it. They may not get it. But tell you what, they respect it. And they respect it because they see the demonstration of it. And the people that, that non-Christian people that, that I'm friends with and know are fascinated by it. Can I just say something about that? That is what he's just said there. just really strikes a chord with me. You know, Greg, Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples. In other words, my life should be so attractive so much like Jesus. I should be a person of integrity in my character, not just here in these two hours on a Sunday, but when I'm in the office on Monday morning and there's an argument, and how do I respond to that? You know, when there's, a, when there's some foul language being spoken, how do I respond to that? You see, when we have the integrity of Christ, we, when we actually walk as he walked, we become that fragrant aroma Mark was talking about, and people get attracted to him. So Jesus said make disciples. He didn't say make converts. It's a huge difference. And I, I really think as a church we need to get this. I really do. Because I think if we do get this, and if we become people of integrity and people of love in a real way, you know, if we, if we can bake a cake for the neighbor, you know, things, little things. that I mean, these are the actual examples I hear about, about people who, why did this, this person do this? Because they care. And so we get into people's lives in a way that's not judging them. It's not preaching at them. It's, it's, it's getting alongside them and actually loving them and being Jesus to them. And suddenly they say, you know, I can see a pattern in your life. I like that. What's going on? It's Jesus. And that's, that's really, I think, what we're talking about. I think the word, I think, authenticity. Is that what the world's looking for? That's what the church is looking for? Is let's just be authentic. Let's be real. It says it how it is, not some futuristic picture that we profess and claim but never actually live out. You know, and that requires humility, vulnerability, transparency in front of him and one another and them. But when you realise we're all in the same boat and actually freedom comes and we can. Well, as we sort of get towards the end of our panel discussion, I want to ask one more question, and it's related um, to, to what we've just been talking about. But, you know, I think if we were all honest, we all go up and down, don't we, in our Christian walk. We all go through periods of um, really on fire, really committed, periods of feeling like we're distant from God, and I, I think it's fair to say that if I sat down with almost everybody here, hopefully everyone, and really drilled down to what's on your heart and what you'd love to see, I'd, I'd hope that we would say, I'd love to see people saved. I, I'd love to see this place, you know, filled every Sunday and every church filled every Sunday and see God's power, you know, in my own life, but also in the city and in this nation. And so as we think about that, you know, the, the, the topic, I guess, of personal revival, Greg, really comes to mind, but also church revival. And it's one thing to, to say, hey, you know, we're doing some great things in church, 
But it's another thing to say we want the revival power of God in our church and in our life and our family. And my question really is, you know, if that's on our heart, as it sometimes is, where do we start? How do we really seek God in that way? Can I put it to you first, Chris? Um, yeah, I, I um, once again, I think that word authenticity comes to mind. Um, we are the church. And so revival for me is the church being the people of God. It's not an encounter with God that comes and goes like we've seen throughout history, but then a large portion of God's people really remain the same. We've had an amazing visitation, but not a habitation. And so he comes, he does his thing, he goes, and pretty much it's amazing, and you see supernatural stuff happen, and it's phenomenal. But then about after six months, a year, we're back to the same being again, continuing to seek the next visitational thing. So to me, revival is when the people of God come alive more and more and more and more and more. And if I can just say this, where we don't go up and down, life and circumstances go up and down, but we are to go like this, from glory to glory. And the more you are revived, the more you'll do that because as hard circumstances and situations are, there's someone greater in you that enables you to do that because it's not you. And so it starts in coming back to him. It starts in prayer and actually asking him more to fill us with more of himself as we submit to him and his truth and his process and allowing ourselves to be built by him which is through his spirit and his truth, which none of us can actually do apart from submit to it and allow him. And I've just been spending a lot of time thinking about the cross. And Paul said this. He said, I want to know the power of the resurrection. And personally, I believe that today we're possibly not understanding what that means and how it's supposed to be operating in us. Because in 2 Peter 4, 2 Peter 1, it says that I've given you my power to accomplish everything pertaining to godly living. And so everything's contained in Christ. It's just, is it in us operating to the fullness? If it's not, are we seeking it with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and allowing our minds to be renewed so it comes? And to me, that would be when that happens more and more, that's the revival of you and I which means we then become the demonstration, which means the world sees the people of God and see God in us, which is that John 17 prayer. Through this oneness, they will see and believe and know that you were sent for them. That's our challenge, because that seems impossible, and it is with us, but with him all things are possible. And so I believe 100% that's a promise for us, for us to be uh, a people in the generational time that we've been given, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be. So I challenge my guys a few weeks ago, and I challenge us all, is what are we doing with the mark that we've been given, and who are we allowing to build us? I think so often we want the power, but we forget that Power results is the result or comes from intimacy. You see, when you want to turn the light switch on on the lamp, you've got to make the plug intimate with, with the other part of the plug. When they become one, the power flows. And, you know, Jesus, when he <clears throat> talked to that woman, that Samaritan woman at the well, she focused on the externalities. She said, you Jews worship in Jerusalem. We worship on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. He just cut right through that and he said, I tell you the truth, woman. A day is coming when worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And those are the worshippers, he then says, that the Father seeks. Do you realize that the Father actually seeks worshippers? He wants you to be one of his worshippers. He wants intimacy. But as Elijah of old knew, when he stood in front of that uh, whirlwind, he didn't come out of the cave until he heard the still, small voice. Because Elijah had learnt that it's in the stillness 
of the intimacy of the relationship he had with God that the power came. So often we focus on the signs and wonders and think that's the power, that's not the power, that's the demonstration of the power, the real power, is when we're in the intimacy with Jesus. And I tell you what, if we were intimate with God like that, just as Greg was saying, our lives would change, our families' lives would change, our workplaces and our churches and our world would change. And that's what we saw 2,000 years ago. What did we see? We saw a man filled with the Holy Spirit without limit. That's what they said of him. He was so intimate with God that everything that flowed out of his body was God. Everything. Isn't that awesome? And now, now listen to this. When Jesus left this earth, he said, now you are the body of Christ. Think about it. Um, so probably a good segue. I mean, um, we're the body of Christ. Um, you know, I think too often in life um, uh, we look for we're uh, what am I trying? We, we're a generation of instant. You know, just add water. We want that religion. We want just the just add water religion. Okay, holy water that'll do. That'd be nice. Actually, that'd be quite good. It can be holy water. <clears throat> but you know, um, uh, I read a book. I read a number of books that changed my life, and and uh, and some of the authors continue to continue to you know sort of draw stuff out. And one of the quotes that stuck with me from Tozer was that that the the new religion wants Christ to do all the dying. Yeah, you know, it's the just add water religion. You know, the new religion wants wants um, Christ to do all the work. And, and there's a truth in that to a point, okay? But you know what? I have, to, I have to want to change. I have to be prepared to change. I have to say, actually, not my will, but yours. I have to be, you know, and I can say that, and then the Lord calls me on it, okay? Or my... A, Oh, no, Lord, I've worked really hard to get. You know, I've been a Christian 35 years, Lord. I know a bunch of stuff. You mean you want me to lay some of that stuff down? But surely we can just build on what, what we've done, you know, where I am. Um, you know, God is calling us as individuals into this um, amazing, intimate relationship, and yet we want to pull so much of of who we are and who we think he is with us. Rather than abandoning that, that's a horrible word, abandoning, you know, that means giving up, leaving behind, you know, um, but abandoning all of that and and throwing ourselves into him. You know, it's it's about letting him define us, not us define him. You know, I used to have this expression which was I used to use, you know, the God I know wouldn't do that. God I know is not. You know, well, actually, sometimes actually what that was revealing was actually uh, uh, something I was saying about what I would do if I was God. And yet, you know, it's true. You know, we, we do have to daily lay down our lives and take up our cross and follow him. You know, he says in John that, that um, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant also be. I think at times we actually want, you know, God to come where we are. And, and so, so what am I saying about, about this? I'm saying that it, it's okay because God knows who I am um, but I think what he what he what he's saying to me is is be bold enough to to ask me um, to give you a greater desire for me. You know, be bold enough to do that. You know, be bold enough to to say, Lord, you know, I know you, but I want to know you more. You know, be bold enough to to ask that because there's more of me. You know, whatever you know, you know me ten. I want to show you 12. You know me 12, I want to show you 15. I, w- I, want, to, I want to draw you in. I, I want to have this 
this transformational process taking place in you that changes you. Not because, not because for any other reason other than I love you and I want to make you into my bride. Amen. Yeah? yeah? And that's not a bad thing. So, so why do I then, why do I then get so wedded to all the stuff that I think, all the things I've worked out, all of who I think I am in Him? And, and just be prepared to kind of say, okay, Lord, you know, you do it. You do it. You know, I want to follow you in, in everything I do. I want you to define what that looks like. I want you to define who I am in that space. Because actually, I really want to know you. Hello. Awesome, Mike. And you know, you mentioned taking out the cross. And you know, there's a, there's a really important principle, and it's this God doesn't want those who polish their cross, He wants those who take up their cross. You hear me? <laughs> you see, the church of Ephesus was a church that polished their cross, they did a darn good job of it. Any church in the world that did the things they did, you'd look at it and go, man, that church is on fire. Jesus said, no, it's not. They're polishing their cross. I want them to take up their cross. And the moment that we start to learn that surrender is where we need to live every single day. You see, a person who took up their cross in the city of Jerusalem, when a person was carrying their cross, people would call out dead man. Dead man. He was still walking, but as far as the world was concerned, he was dead. And Jesus wants us to take up our cross and be dead to ourselves. So how does that happen? Well, let me share a couple of things. In the Bible, God uses types. He uses examples to teach us principles of truth, right? I'm sure you've heard of that. There was two people, Jesus and John the Baptist. Before Jesus came, John the Baptist came. Jesus was not going to come until John the Baptist had prepared the way. He had to come first before Jesus came. Why? John the Baptist's ministry was what? A ministry of repentance. Jesus will only work in your life if you are living a life of surrender and repentance before him. That does not mean to say that we have to go around depressed and constantly saying, oh God, I'm such a sinner. No. But it does mean that we just need to say, God, I just need you again. I just need your cleansing. It's a principle that if you get wrong, you'll find yourself in a place where you wonder why God's not working in your life. And I think that in our, in our generation today, we can get so accustomed to sin. There's, a, there's some verses in Jeremiah, it says, the people no longer blushed at the sin around them because they got so accustomed to it. And I think many of us need to come before God and say, God, I'm going to start this journey of repentance. I don't know where it's going to end. Let me start with the obvious things, but Lord, reveal the things that you need to shine with a torch on my heart and start to cleanse me. And I'm going to seek you. And the other thing I want to share with you is this. It's related. Two great prophets in the Old Testament, we've mentioned one of them today, Elijah and Elisha. And you remember when Elijah called Elisha, Elisha burnt everything he owned that was his livelihood and said, I'm going to follow you, Elijah. He burnt his, his, uh, his plow. He killed the oxen. There was no turning back. But later in life, he was called to go deeper. And Elisha found out that Elijah was going to be taken up in that whirlwind that I think you mentioned, Simon. And Elisha said, I want to come with you. And Elijah said to him, no, no, you just stay here. You, I'm going on now. I'm going on. You stay here. And Elisha said, I don't think so. I am not leaving you. And so they walked on and they carried on for quite some time. And all the prophets around were saying, do you know that Elijah's going to leave today? And Elisha said, yes, don't mention it. And they got so far and Elijah said, okay, Elisha, just stay here. I'm moving on now. No way, Elisha said. I am not leaving you. You know, three times he said that. And on the third time, we know the story that they crossed over that river, the waters parted, and Elisha saw Elijah disappear up in the whirlwind, and then he picked up the cloak of Elijah, and he had the power of God. Here's the principle for us. When we want to seek God, God will test us. We don't like that. We like, we like the easy stuff. We like 
Well, I'm ready, God. I've been really screwing up for a few years, but hey, I'm ready now. Uh, come on, bring it on. God says, really? Really? Are you really that, you really that serious? Follow me. And I found that in my life that as you really seek God, God will test you and he will take you to the limits. And, and it's, as you said, Greg, it's not about experiences, but there are times in our lives where we have to go, God, I am not what I should be. I've got to seek you. I've got to fast before you. Fast? Well, I thought that was in like 2,000 years ago, you know? That was a movie. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to seek you, and I'm, and I'm going to not let up until I know that you have met with me. And then it's every day after that. It's living in that moment, isn't it? Like, Lord, just cleanse me again. Cleanse me again. So, Greg, I don't know where we're going with this discussion now. I think it's, <laughs> it's been so enjoyed. I've loved it. I don't know what you guys have thought of it, but I've loved it. Can I hand over to you to see where we go from here? Yeah, let's, let's just, um, just finish by just praying and, and, and asking God to reveal uh, more. Um, and then let's eat. And uh, let's continue to enjoy one another's company and fellowship. So, Father... Thank you for what you're saying today through everyone that's sung, spoke, prayed, has been silent. Thank you, Father, that you are building us and will continue to build us. Um, Lord, I love the song, You Won't Relent Until You Have It All. And so I thank you, Father, that you are building a spiritual house, a priesthood, a nation, a race unto your own possession. And Lord, I pray we would continue to give our yes and our mean no matter how hard at times it may get. So, Lord, pour out your spirit, pour out your truth into our hearts and minds. May we walk together in unity, uh, covered by your grace and your truth. And I thank you for today, and I thank you that it's the start of something, Father. And so, Lord, bless it more and more. And, Lord, as we, uh, we thank you for the food that we're about to partake of and eat, I pray you just bless the fellowship and the new relationships that are starting. And Lord, we just thank you today for the celebration in Jesus' name. Amen.